0: I'm here today with Kennedy Hall. We're talking about the new Pope Benedict book that's been released. Good news, Kennedy Hall knows Italian. I've got a a black market English copy, so I'm in it as well. So we're gonna talk about the new Pope Benedict book. We're gonna talk about the rumor stirring in all trad circles that Pope Francis may try to kill off the traditional Latin mass this April or May, was the report from Dr. Robert Moynihan. And then we're going to talk about Kennedy Hall reading my book, Sword and Serpent. He did Antichrist and Apocalypse. Now Sword and Serpent is out. We'll talk about that process. Maybe the process of writing books. Kennedy's working on a book. I'm always working on books. So we'll talk about that towards the end. You know, Kennedy, we should have done an audio sample, but we didn't think about that in time. Well, you could
1: go. I mean, if you could play from your browser, you could play the sample from audible.com if you wanted to. Maybe we'll do
0: that. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody, like, subscribe, you know, you know the drill. All right, the new book, the new book. Translate the title for us. Uh, Christi-
1: what is it? What is Christianity? Yeah. What is Christianity?
0: Yeah. That's a good question nowadays, because it seems like a lot of uh, priests don't know what that is.
1: Yeah. That's,
0: uh, like that's one of the
1: reasons why I think you're so popular. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, the most explosive thing is, I, I just did a little little preview before we went live, Kennedy, but my English version, this is my page 297. It says, in sev-, this is Pope Benedict, and I have the, uh, it says, in several seminaries, homosexual clubs were formed, which acted more or less openly and which clearly changed the atmosphere in the seminaries. In a seminary in southern Germany, candidates for the priesthood and candidates for the lay office of pastoral contact lived together. During the common meals, the seminarians were together with the married pastoral representatives, partly accompanied by their wife and children, and in some cases by their girlfriends. The atmosphere in seminary could not help priestly formation. The Holy, this is what's key, Kennedy. The Holy See knew about these problems without being informed of them in detail. I mean, this is just crazy, you know? Well, I mean, I mean it, this. It, speaking
1: of Benedict, though, um, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, I was just doing some research for the book that I'm re, uh, writing. Oh, the letter is from, like, 93 or something like that. It's early on. And uh, the person is a tr- traditionalist and telling... Rome about all the errors of their local bishop, you know, crazy stuff, you know, I've right. heard it a thousand times, you know, stupid stuff. And the and, uh, Monsignor Camille Pearl, writing on behalf of Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, said, uh, if you think that this will be fixed by an order from the Vatican, you're, you are in a disillusion. Uh, and it said, the state of the church right now, according to Ratzinger, is anarchy. <laughs> This was right. like 1993,
0: See, but I, I kind of disagree with that, Kennedy. Uh, it's like this: okay, well, John Paul II couldn't do anything, and and Benedict couldn't do anything because all the bad people. Look, you're the Pope. You have supreme jurisdiction of the Church. One of my favorite stories is Pius X heard of shenanigans and heresy in a seminary, and I think it was in New York, and through the telegram, he fired the faculty. Mm-hmm. Pius X. Yeah. He's like, hey, bring me, he didn't even have a cell phone. He's like, bring me that telegram. Yeah. And then like, fi- Donald Trump, you're fired. You're done. So this whole like. I agree. This whole, these, the Pope, he has bad advisors and he's, you no. Know, no, you fire people who are destroying the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm just saying that's been their, that like, that's how bad it's been for so long as they've
0: known and haven't done anything right but they got to do something yeah like they have soup to do is, something supers should be canned asap yep uh, homeboy what's his name out in uh, san diego <laughs> uh everybody yeah, in canada his name? All, all bishops in canada there's
1: there's 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 one really good one okay bishop Bougie, bergie bergie he's in um all right st catharines he's, he's really he's really he good can, to tradition he,
0: he can hang yeah but this this we need to have uh A pope with some cojones to fire heretics like, oh, you preach that in public here. I have the article right here and you wear a red hat. You're a cardinal. You're fired. You're out. (laughs) Go Um, go sack groceries.
1: This is this is an interesting thing. Let's let's play a quick game here. So we have a mutual friend, Anthony Abate. He's getting a shout out on Taylor Marshall. He's going to lose his mind. Um, But uh, he was saying uh, if he was pope, this is what he would do. And this was his practical steps of how to fix the liturgy and all this kind of stuff. I thought it was genius what he said. And he said everyone would have a grace period of one year where all they have to do in the beginning, use an English, use a vernacular translation of the traditional liturgy and turn around. Like that's the first step. And then from there, over time, older priests could retire. There would be dispensations made for older priests near retirement
0: who too cumbersome to
1: learn the old mass, the old language, that kind of thing. And then sort of go, go from there. What would you
0: do? I'll fire the heretics (laughs) day one. No, it's kind of like, if you're a heretical Cardinal or a Bishop and you're teaching heresy, that's like you, you work for a major corporation and you're stealing money from the company and giving it to the competition. It's like, you're the VP of marketing for Pepsi. And if the analogy of being a heretic is, you're taking the marketing money of Pepsi and you're laundering it or turning into Bitcoin or wiring it to the head of VP of marketing at Coca-Cola and saying, please spend our budget to ruin our company and and raise your company. That person doesn't get a one-year grace uh, window to, hey, you might be able to turn things around and keep your cardinal hat and keep your archdiocese. No, you're just done. You're done, you, you, you you have stolen the credit of the church, especially if you moved around sexual abusers and all that, it's just, you're done, bye.
1: I had a meeting, it was actually in the summer of 2020. So when they made sure we sat six feet apart, you know, to make everyone safe. (laughs) And I was meeting with a a high ranking cleric in my diocese about the Society of St. Pius X and he wasn't very happy with me and all this kind of stuff. And you know, it came up like, well, what if we just got you guys a traditional mass, you know, whatever would that fix it? And I said, that doesn't change. Like the fact that he didn't understand. I said, like, there's literally signs up in these parishes for like eco Vesper interfaith service with the Anglican priestess. You know what I mean? Like it's not just, okay, we'll give you a low mass at 3 PM on Saturday, Sunday. Right. And then everything's going to be fine. Like I don't, I couldn't put my kids in the first communion prep. I couldn't put my kids in the confirmation prep. Um, you know, I can't trust that every Mass is even valid because so and so is playing around with the rubrics. And I don't even, he's playing fast and loose with,
0: the, with the, the formatter and intention. I don't even know what's and what going on. What about there. the hosts in the tabernacle? What if you're at the Saturday exactly. or the Sunday, 3 p.m. traditional Latin Mass and Father goes in the tabernacle, but that was Father um, Patty Cake SJ's Mass uh, earlier? How do you know those are hosts for real?
1: This is what people need to understand about when traditionalists talk about intention and stuff. The bar for intention is not very high, but it's just that the bar for everything in the church is so low. So it's not as if somebody has to have, um, you know, some unbelievable, you know, unitive experience with, you know, a Eucharistic miracle of the risen Christ every time he, you know, like you can just be, hey, like you can be in a dark, you could be in a dry spell of faith. Of course you could You'd be in a dry spell of your whole priesthood. But it's like I intend to do this. This is what the church intends to do. Boom! It's very simple, and you and yeah. you and you um, manifest that by your exterior signs. But if you're playing with rubrics, if you're preaching, I remember when I was in Ireland at a wedding. You know, this is 2017, I think 2017, yeah, summer, um, and it was a Catholic wedding, but everyone there was a non-practicing Catholic except for my wife and I, and the priest was saying things that after I had read Michael Davies' Cramner's Godly Order, about how the Anglicans used similar language to say things to get people away from believing in the real presence, he was saying the exact same things. He was saying, you know, we believe Christ is sacramentally present on the altar. And yes, on the one hand, he's sacramentally present. But an Anglican or a Lutheran can accept sacramentally present because they see sacramental as a sign. Whereas a Catholic must call it substantially present, because although a sacrament sacramentally present could be substantial, it can be the opposite. And these are these little things. So I'm, I'm thinking back to that Mass, and it was a terrible Mass, like it was a gong show. And um, what do, I don't even know—I mean, the priest was giving me—he was saying to me Anglican heretical terms or using Anglican tactics at a Mass in a Catholic Church. What do I know? I have no idea if it was valid. And that's why you, it's not
0: just about the liturgy. It's also about the formation of the priests. Yep. Hey, I was an Anglican priest. I know those games. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I know those games. I was one of them. I worked yeah. for the opposition. May God <laughs> forgive me and have mercy on my soul. Well, you did the right thing. Yeah. Well, I'm home. But you know what? Yep. Now that I'm home, Rome's sweet home. Hey, there's all these heretics over here. It's like there's Anglic- yep. I left the Anglicans and then the Anglicans infiltrated over decades and now they're in on the other side. You know, like yep. James Martin the other day, Slim Jim. He said, uh, "What's his name? Pete Budapest, Buda- B- yeah, yeah, Buddha what Booty something." That he's married. No, he's not. He's not married. Why would a Catholic priest say he's married? He oh, he's legally married. <laughs> Just he's not. He's not. It's impossible. He's it, not I, even I, legally married. It's like someone saying don't they understand. had a legal abortion.
1: Yeah, well, it's 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 even it's even uh, more it's simpler than that. The word matrimony, you know your Latin, Matrimonium. matrimonium. It means state of, it basically means state of motherhood. That's yeah. what it means essentially. Right.
0: It's two words. That's why monia it derived from munis. same the office of etymology, marriage, the office of motherhood. Yeah, it's yes. the office it's the state of being in the office of ma- of motherhood if you really so want to break procreation it. exactly
1: right Two dudes. so it's not possible it's only possible with men and women so it's not even about you know and it's funny writing this book as well I had to do some research into uh the change of um Well, in in Vatican II, change of emphasis on the ends of marriage. In fairness, Gaudium et Spes, if you were Orthodox, you could look at those two phrases and see it, but it's implied that the ends have changed. And then when you look at the way that it's talked about in canon law, it's clear that the ends have been flipped. Um, But I was looking at something from Pius XII that was a a recommendation he gave to like one of the, the, uh, it was an acta polistica sedes, or whatever you call it, acta, whatever, and he sent it out to one of the courts on how to deal with annulments and he was uh, not, not castigating them, but clarifying, like you don't understand if they're married, it doesn't even matter if they live in the same house, as long as they've consummated the marriage, like this is binding forever and ever all men, unless there can be some serious impediment at the time of making the vows. He was basically saying that the end, the primary end of marriage is the procreation. Yeah. And as long as that is known by the couples, everything else is secondary. Now, obviously We need to love our wives. No one's saying be like that. But the point is the sacrament is is made real because of procreation, because of an understanding of procreation. So marriage is only linguistically possible when it's matrimonium. Yes. It's like saying a candle is a flashlight. No, it's not. (laughs) It looks like it it does similar things, but it's impossible for it to be that. It's not. It's like even even if I was an open minded liberal person, and I would say, i you can go have your thing, you can go have your 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 right. way of wanting to live, and that's you can call it right. something else, call it a partnership or something. but it's impossible for it to be marriage because it's not etymologically
0: possible yes and I think you know, I love Matt Walsh, but when Matt Walsh was on Joe Rogan and they at at the end, Joe Rogan was going after Matt on yeah. on this topic and I think Matt would have done great um, if he had told Joe Rogan, well, matrimony in Latin means the office and state of motherhood. So you can't come in here and just say, two dudes have this. It's just like saying, well, uh," you know, Joe Rogan's in like UFC. You can say, well, I do UFC, but in my UFC, um, I can punch, punch. yeah, I can gouge eyes. That's what UFC means to me and my rules. No, 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 no. You, you don't get to come onto the mats and say, well, my, my lifestyle in fighting is, is interpreted this way. And if you say I can't do it, you're persecuting me and you hate me and you need to go to prison. And that's exactly what's happened on the marriage issue. And I think Joe Rogan would have understood It's even that. more than
1: that. I think it would have. It's even more than that. It's like saying Ty Bo is UFC. It's like saying like what? You can't even, Ty Bo. Remember Ty Bo, yeah, yeah. Like that Billy Blanks, like, Mm-hmm. that it's like that like it's it can't do the thing right that makes it what it is uh gouge eye gouging would be like would be like a bad marriage or like polygamy it's like okay there's a marriage but there's some crazy stuff going on yeah whereas uh the, it's just
0: not even real yeah 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 i guess it'd be like well i am doing uh a what looks like ballroom dancing in the octagon, but it's really mixed martial arts. Like, no, it's, it's yeah. not, it's not. Yeah. Um, let's, let's pivot here, traditional Latin mass. Dr. Robert Moynihan released this hmm. letter from a priest from a traditional order, we don't know which one. Uh, by reading it, the way they referred to the Society of St. Pius the X, I don't think they were SSPX probably FSSP or Institute, my guess, um, didn't seem like an American. I don't know, did you read it, Kennedy? Yeah, yeah. It didn't sound like an American, what'd you think? I did. No, I didn't, and also we
1: should give, um, obviously it's, you know, you've been around this Vatican game for a while, there's something called a Vaticanista, mm. you know, you know uh, Robert Moynihan is, is an American Vaticanista, let's put it yes. that way, meaning... He, you know, Sochi was a Vatican, is a Vaticanista, um, you know, um, uh, Tossati is a Vaticanista. Like these men have been around, you know, Montagna. She's, uh, she's a, she's one, uh, rumors in Rome. It's truth. <laughs> like rumors coming out. It's, it's, uh, the military calls it ruments, rumor intelligence. You know, right. it's like, just before Roe versus Wade is dropped, it's like leaked documents, like it right. was true. We knew it was true. Yeah, there um, are no. That's they what they said this. no
0: secrets in Rome.
1: There's no, and 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 it's from both sides. It's 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 warfare. It's politics. If there's cardinals that are traditionally minded and they're and they're unknown, or even if they don't come off as traditional, but they interiorly have a change of heart, they'll slip a story. Yeah, they'll do it, and you, and no one dares. No one dares uh, burn their sources because you'll never—they'll never talk to you again. It's like mutually assured destruction. Um, so Robert Moynihan, you know, he's worked. I—I think he's very trustworthy. Um, for one, he's very good friends with with, with Father Charles Murr, who is, is a good friend of mine and 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 has been in the game for a long time. He's worked with, uh, Robert Moynihan's worked closely with LifeSite News, and we all know John Henry Weston and the gang are like is the salt of the earth. And It's just you know? the people that are surrounding him. I just trust him. Um, and uh, I. so I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that they're going to... I mean, it's impossible to abolish the Latin mass effective in, in a sense where it's gone completely, um, although they'll probably try. And... Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's looking like 1970 again, where, you know, some priest somewhere with some bishop who says you can use my chapel on Saturday afternoon is saying it. And I think that'll, you know, what does that mean for the fraternity and the, and the institute and stuff? I don't know. But I know that when um, I believe it was in 19, it was before 1984, it was before the document that John Paul II put out or on behalf of him which was basically like the first Samorum pontificum sort of uh, allowing, it was more restrictive, but it was allowing for permissions for the traditional mass. It was a very patronizing document. If you read it, it's like, it's like, wow, that was, it was like psychologically kind of disturbing. But in any case, um, Lefebvre, Marcel Lefebvre, he said, no, this is fine, but there will come a day. There will come a day when they will come to you asking you to sign a piece of paper saying, I accept the revolution essentially. Um, and that I will say the new mass. And you can find this document on the, on the internet. And, and when that happened to Supich and Supich's diocese, that's what they did to Christ the King. There came a day, yeah. they said you can have your tradition for a time, but you need to get with the program or it's all gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that the orders themselves will be in that position pretty soon.
0: Yeah. 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 My speculation I said the other day is, they will require con celebration, at least for the mm-hmm. of Mass. Uh, right. they, will, they will, there's rumors, that they will do away with traditional triduum, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday.
1: Yeah, Subic I wouldn't, did, I wouldn't Subic doubt that. did
0: this in his previous assignment. The idea is, well, if if you're going to the traditional triduum, you're not united with the rest of the diocese, or you're not united with the Pope. So you have to do the Novus Ordo, which is bogus, because that would mean that the Greeks, the Greek Catholics, can't yes, do theirs. doesn't make any sense. it yeah, um, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then... I'm surprised they haven't done it yet. But enforce altar girls, lay Mm. Eucharistic ministers, lectors, permanent deacons, all of that into the traditional Latin Mass and enforce it and the new lectionary, just you know, just to like put as much pressure on them as possible. Because I really think Francis and the way he works as a pronist is he's going to let the fraternity in the institute. Fight each other and kill each other off. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, well, yeah, they'll try to make you hey, do that. Yeah, you got to say the Novus Ordo, you got to celebrate and you need to use the new lectionary. I know some FSSP priests who would be like, "H the no, I'm not doing that." Yep, I know other fraternity priests who would do it. Now you've got to you've got a brawl amongst the brothers, and Francis just has to kick back, put his feet up, smoke a cigar, and watch the whole thing happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really, I mean, Peronism isn't Marxism, but Peronists are half Marxists, you know, let's put it that way. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really is a, 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 reality of divide and conquer. Like when I was down at, um, Catholic identity conference in October, Michael Matz shindig, what an impressive thing that is. Yeah. Um, and there were priests, uh, from all over, right? I mean, there was, uh, there weren't any society priests there, but there were some that did talks like v- virtually. Um, but there was fraternity, there was Christ the King, there were diocesan priests, there was one fella, he's actually a legionary and he sort of, you know, um, sort of was becoming traditional as old age. And he just, he asked everyone to pray for him, that a bishop would take him in where he could do the traditional mass, you know, w- without having, without uh, any, um, um, restrictions and stuff and but the point is everyone there was kind of like yeah we're in the position now where um we're gonna have to make a decision pretty soon about if we're gonna tip the hat to the revolution or not and some of them have been doing that their whole careers and you know decided not to anymore some of them had never done it and said i i I foresee a situation where this will happen to me soon I think this is a prediction I'm going to make. I think pretty soon you're going to see bishops like Schneider, Strickland. Uh, I think you're and probably some African bishops. I I think you're going to see them in a very similar situation to like Castro Mayer, mm. um, where they have a diocese or they have a ministry, and they don't you know join the society or they don't they don't you know uh, do anything technically what someone would call schismatic in the loose term, but they just decide not to bend the knee to an order. And then there, they're kind of like in this jurisdictional gray area. I think they're going to see some murky waters like that pretty soon.
0: Yeah. What about the yeah. orders themselves? You mean like what, what's going to happen to them? Yeah. I mean, uh, let's, uh, are they going to, I mean, let's just say, Francis says, okay, you Ecclesia Day, formerly Ecclesia Day communities, you can have the TLM, but I want lay yep. Eucharistic ministers, I want communion in the hand, yep. I want altar girls, and I want the new lectionary. Do it. They're they n- I, they're they not, did Most this of them are not going to do it. Most of them are
1: not going to do it. They're not. They did something similar to this. One of my priests, when he was young, he went to the oratory in Ottawa and the oratorians are like kind of like the Franciscan friars, the immaculate They're, right. I mean, the Franciscan friars and max have been di- disbanded, but point is they were, tr- they're trained in both rights. So the oratory, you know, if you go to the one in Toronto, which is like three hours from me, they'll do another sort of, but it's like at orientum and it's very nice, you know, yes. and like everything they do, everything they do, they do it with, with great dignity. Okay. Um, but, because they weren't technically a traditional order all the way through, I remember this priest friend of ours was saying, when he was young, they started doing things like, now you have to have a permanent deacon, and he's required to do like one sermon a month, and, and you also have to allow communion on the hand, and, and things like that. So, and they had no way to say no, right? because that's really not like, I mean, in fairness, the oratorians are obviously strongly theologically trained, but it's not a traditional order per se. They didn't really have any ground to stand on. Um, so that I mean, they continued and they're fine. They're thriving. As far as prob- the only good seminary in Canada is the Oratorian Seminary in Saint Philip near in Toronto. Um, but as far as what's going to happen, I mean, listen. If you are a priest of the Fraternity, Christ the King, Institute of the Good Shepherd, I don't know enough about the Superior Generals. I don't know enough. I don't know anything really. But if they are willing to shake hands with the revolution, then you're probably going to get kicked out. So what are you going to do then? Uh, They can't all join the society. I'm sure some of them wouldn't want to. Um, Being an independent priest is not a fun way to live. I think, if we could give a shout out to the canceled priests, I think Father Lovell, and Father Scott in their, um, in their, in there. I think we're going to see that sort of movement, if you want to call it that swell. And it's, it's almost looking like a, I don't, it's, I'm not calling it a religious order. It's not, but it's just, there's so many canceled priests that are just being canceled. And if there's a, if there's a nuclear bomb against tradition, then there's going to be a lot more of them. And the most important thing for priests when they get canned is they have to continue living in community life. So they keep their vows and all that sort of stuff. And Father Lovell and his organization, The Canceled Priest, they offer at least something for you to do. Um, and then uh, then you're going to have to be, you're gonna be in a position where you're going to have no faculties, technically speaking. And you're going to have to make the decision about, okay, there's like 200 of us that all just got canned from this is hypothetical, but they got canned from the fraternity or from Christ the King or whatever. They shut down Latin mass in like all these big cities. Um, you know, what do they do? Do they say, okay, I'm okay being called a schismatic. Or do they just say, I'm not going to do anything. And that's going to be the call they're going to have to make.
0: Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, this goes back to 1970. Yeah, And it's really, I'm, uh, tomorrow, Matt uh, Gaspers will be on. We'll be talking about how Pope's previously understood the papal relationship to the liturgy. In other words, does the Pope have the power, is he the guardian and custodian of the property, which is the liturgy, or can he just take over the property and rearrange the furniture and repaint the walls and hang new drapes and create his own liturgy? which is what you saw Paul VI do. How do we understand that as Catholics and, and what has been the historical understanding of that? If, if you believe that the Pope has to serve tradition in such a way that he receives the rights, of course, we all believe that the Pope can improve the rights, right? Can he rewrite them? And I think that's the big question. Is the Novus Ordo a improvement or a, a dogmatic clarification of what was received before or is it all new that's a big debate but if you believe the pope can't force you to abandon the roman canon you know or the traditional formularies of the liturgy like he can't do that then there is this, this argument for, which is really the Archbishop Lefebvre argument, well, I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disobeying the church because I am following the received right of the church. And you'll, you'll hear people say, well, you know, Paul VI got rid of the Latin Mass. the Sixteenth says it was not abrogated. Yeah, it never was. Is my audio better now, by the way? You're getting 60. little, at certain points when you talk, it clips off, like a compressor. It sounds like you have a compressor on or something.
1: I don't have anything on, but I, I turned off all the settings that were on. Okay. Uh, I'll just turn off noise cancellation. I think anyway, that's what it is,
0: noise cancellation.
1: Uh, okay, probably that. Um, okay, so what's the, what's the canon in Trent? Everyone always points to the one canon to try to uh, smash the trads, and it's like, you know, you can never say there's a bad liturgy canon. Yeah, but then no, there's the other if one. If you
0: say if you say that the receipt if the, the rights in the literature church are uh an impetus to impiety, Usher. I think is what it says. That's right. Right. But there's another canon where
1: it says anyone who seeks to abolish the received rights, that can be anathema.
0: So they have to be taken to- together.
1: Right? Like so I don't, they're I don't saying you proceed.
0: I'd like to see that one because I'd be using it.
1: I gotta I gotta find it. It's, yeah um but it's basically saying like well, now not, okay, so off the hip you can't want, say there yeah go ahead well, i'm just gonna say basically the point is is like you can't say so yes you can't say the the rights are a cause for impiety and the context for that is is because the ones we've given you are obviously good
0: um yes uh okay so here's this canon point. Seven, this is canon seven on um council of trent um and I'm trying to find which session it is. This isn't listing the session. But anyway, here's the text for everybody. If anyone says that the ceremonies, vestments, and outward signs which the Catholic Church uses in the celebration of masses are incentives to impiety rather than stimulants to piety, let him be anathema. So if you say that the TLM is an incentive to impiety, let him be anathema. And then what people use against the traditionalists is they say, Well, if you traditionalists say the novus ordo is an incentive to impiety, you are anathema. Now, I would not say that the novus ordo is an incentive to impiety. I wouldn't say that. I think that would place me under an anathema. Yeah, if if we understand
1: impiety as meaning it doesn't actually fulfill the obligation of a religious sacrifice. Yes. But I I would say in the colloquial sense, like something's bad for pious ears, the way we use that term. I would say that, like, yeah, I mean, Father Bob's Nova Sordo isn't very pious, <laughs> um, but I, but the technical religious term is different. Yes, yeah.
0: I mean, here's I just the, sent you the next canon. I just sent it, you in the chat. It, you sent it to me in the chat. I found it. Yeah, okay.
1: it's um, it's uh, session seven, canon twenty-three. Okay, great. You want to read it? Uh, yeah, it says, oh, yes. if anyone says that the received, if anyone says that the received and improved rights of the Catholic Church customarily used in the solemn administration of the sacraments may be despised or may be freely omitted by the ministers without sin or may be changed into other new rites by any church pastor, whosoever, let him be anathema. There we go. There this we is, go. this is one people never bring up. So
0: yes. I love it. Uh, you can you send me the say, citation on that when you just sent me the quote? I got. Uh, yeah, i send you I got to put that one into my toolbox. This is in my uh, new book, Taylor. Oh, good. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah. So, there it is. Council of Trent, Session Seven. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. This very is much. this is a thing, people. About, about you're welcome. About Catholicism, like every single thing that is binding on the faithful must be subject to reason, history, and the faith. Right. So if so and so says you can never do X, Y, and Z, like there's even there are even exceptions to divine positive law. Think about when King David eats the bread of the presence or the presentation, when he's not supposed to do that. Well, there's a reason for that. But one of the reasons why it's okay is because for one, it's even though the holy scriptures are inspired, it would be too cumbersome to list out the all possible objections or exceptions that could happen at all times in history because the book would be thicker than your house. Um, but you use your reason. you go, okay, a sacrifice, the victim mm-hmm. must be consumed, otherwise the sacrifice isn't finished, there's no priest around, whatever you have you, then the higher law is to be fulfilled by the minister who's not normally there. Um, yes. You know, and that's possible. So these, your reason always—so if, if Trent says something like, you know, you can't say that the, the liturgy, well, I'm paraphrasing, but you can't say the liturgy is, is bad, well, Trent's only talking about what liturgies exist. The Novus Ordo did not exist in in, in in 1570 or whatever the date the time was. Um, and it was against Protestantism. It was against, you know, liturgies that looked like the Novus Ordo. Um, and then when you take the other canon into consideration, well, clearly it's saying this Catholicism that we have is legit. You can't say this is bad, right? And you can't change it to a degree where it's not. And even there, no one would say that a legitimate reform is a, you know, altering of a right because a reform right. means to form it a different way. But clearly altering the right would mean something like a liturgy that's completely absent of history.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we Catholics yeah. would say, yes, we know that the Niceno-Constantinopolitan creed didn't originally have the filioque in it, but now it does. Yeah. A pope did that. Yeah. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. Yes, we, we know that the offertory prayers in the traditional Latin mass, as we see them in the 1962 Missal, are later developments that were ratified by a Pope. We're okay with that. Even the Agnus day, the threefold Agnus day was added, I think in like the six or seven hundreds. It's late. Yep. The Pope added it. We're okay with that. But you notice all these things are like progressive, uh, especially as it relates to doctrine And it's never like, well, now we're going to remove this chunk and now we're going to make up a new one and put it in there like Eucharistic prayer two, three, four or penitential rites um, or prayers of the faithful that are literally made up like 24 hours beforehand by Susan at the parish. Yeah, and I'm so tired of, uh,
1: I read this in the the book that I'm finishing now. I was like, spare me. Spare me talk of the early church, you know? Um, Right. You pick and choose, oh, someone said this one time in in, in the appendix of a book to the church father. This must have been the practice of the early church. It's like, no, it's just somewhere in the empire that they received communion on the hand, by the way, like four times a year after fasting for however long. And they like knelt down and licked their palms, you know, and then. You know, as 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 church understanding increases, it's like okay, well, we need to be more careful even of the particles. Yeah. So then it's like, even though it's possible to receive communion worthily on the hand, of course it's possible, priests. Of course it is. Receive, of course yeah. it is. But it's not practical for the faithful. Um, yeah, can and it's I, also not. Can and, I
0: add something yeah. here? I, I think it, it piggies back onto what you said about King David and the bread. So yeah. in the Old Testament, Moses says that the bread of the presence, which was laid out in the temple was only to be consumed by the priests. Period. Yes. That's what it said. David while he was fighting a war comes along to the tabernacle and asks to eat the bread. And the priests are like, "Um, have you had sex with women?" <laughs> is their yeah. answer. And they say, "No, we have, we've been we've been chaste." And he says, "Okay, then you can eat the bread of presence." Right? He makes it and our Lord Jesus Cites and by the way, in my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, I talk about what that means for the celibate priest warriors in the end times, yes. which is pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, but that that example right there, it's like, OK, we traditionalists say only priests should touch the host and only touch the sacred vessels, the ciborium, the paten, and the, and the chalice. The early church teaches that excommunicates people who don't do that. That Hmm. being said, there are situations in church history that every single traditionalist, including myself and including you will recognize that people, lay people, self-communicated themselves by using their hands. It is a historical fact. But that doesn't mean that every single person at every single mass, daily mass, Sunday mass for, from now until the end of time should be receiving in the hands. That would be like saying, well, King David once received the bread of presence; Therefore, all yes. lay people at all times should be eating the, the bread of presence," which is not the case. You can't no. extrapolate exceptions in Bible history or church history and then explain ban them to a universal lay decree. And that's the problem.
1: It's bad. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 this is how you make bad law. You look at exceptions and make norms and then now you have no more exceptions and you have only the exceptionality as the norm and then it's all chaos. Um, This is a good segue. We should probably talk about um, speaking of warrior celibates. um, We should talk about Jurian. Yes. and, uh, And, and, and a sword and serpent. And uh, so, for those who don't know, I do a little bit of audiobook narrating. And uh, Taylor approached me graciously and asked me to narrate first, Antichrist and Apocalypse, and then I showed him I could do a bunch of accents. And uh, we did Sword and Serpent, and it's a 15-hour audiobook. Um, it's the I was reading it for the first time as I was recording it. There were so, <laughs> there were some moments in there. I won't give any story, but there were some moments, you know, when a character passes away and things like that. And uh, I was getting choked up, man. I made made sure I kept recording so it sounded organic, but I'm like, we were texting back and forth throughout the process. And I was like, no wonder actors go crazy. Um, If you're one of those people, like in those like method acting things, and you're like emoting all the stuff that the people are doing, you're going to lose your mind. I was just doing some voices in my basement studio. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, but it's, it's an amazing book, and it goes over fictional but historically fictional representation of, of some of the great saints of the early church. Um, and you do a really good job of showing what Christian life was like, especially for martyrs.
0: Thank you. Yeah, Sword and Serpent is a historical fiction novel about the ultimate warrior celibate, St. George. Yeah. A celibate warrior. Who, um, yeah, I mean, he fights the dragon. I don't want to give away the dragon. I think the dragon is part of the best part of the book. It's at the end of the book. This is the first in a trilogy, by the way. But the, the dragon, the war with the dragon happens at the end of this book. And you probably, you might think you know what happens, but you don't. And uh, it's it's a creative retelling of how Catholicism went from persecuted by... Diocletian and the story of St. George. George is just on the pivot, just on the turn of everything being persecuted, Catholics being martyred daily, to all of a sudden Constantine converting. So this book has Constantine and George are, are very close in history, they overlap. And so this book is sort of a what if they met. And then how does that relate to George and the dragon and demonic possession and all these realities that were going on in the, in the Roman empire. And, and Kennedy did a great job narrating it because Kennedy has all these accents. So it's like a, it's, it's not quite a dramatic reading, but it's like a dramatic reading. Um, and it, it's really good. So Kennedy, I think you did a, a, a really good job on it. Well, thank you. It's, yeah. It's not
1: radio theater, like, you know, with multiple actors, right. but it's, uh, but it's read with characters and, um, and, and so we're doing the trilogy, though people should know as well. So I'm now just beginning um, uh, the second, uh, not the Watch of the Night, um, tenth, watch, tenth region of the night, tenth watch, tenth region of the night. Sorry, I was, I was mixing it with Storm of Fire and Blood. Uh, we're doing the second book, and um, and that'll be out by about Easter time. And then the, the goal is to have that one by Easter because they're pretty big. They're they're. Yep. I mean, they'll be about six. They're about sixteen hours long. Yeah. Which is a pretty pretty thick audiobook. I, I'll um, say
0: this: my trilogy, Sword and Serpent, is a little bit longer than The Lord of the Rings. I just I just wanted to beat Tolkien. Just wanted to be. <laughs> I just wanted to go longer than Tolkien.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. So yeah. so you know, it takes, you know, for every hour you listen to an audiobook, add three to four more right of production time. So it's 50, 60 hours to make the books. Um, on top of my job and stuff, and, and and but people know. If people don't know, my wife just got really hurt, um, yeah. so my my schedule's been flipped upside down. Um, so I was I was hoping to be about fifty pages or so into actually recording that one by now, but I've, you know things have been flipped upside down. But we'll have it out by Easter, nonetheless. The second book, and then I'm hoping the next one will be by Pentecost or just soon after that. Um, so, uh, you know, I was listening to the first uh, edition first uh, installment with my kids in the car the other day and they were obsessed because they listened yeah. to these saints stories and stuff. Yeah. They listened to these saints alive podcasts and these great things. And then they were just glued to it. You know, I'm talking like my son as young as seven was, uh, was into it. And, um, and it's a really, it's a really edifying story because, you know, you learn a lot. That's real history um, about, you know, it's, it's good historical fiction none of the elements of the story that are, are fake
0: it's just none of it's like if if re- i describe range. a weapon or it is historically accurate if i describe food yeah. it, or i describe boats or city yeah. walls everything in there it's historically accurate
1: and regions regions um languages you know the punic like all these different cultural things um describe in detail the cult of Moloch you know we hear that word a lot and it's like oh it's a pretty disgusting cult you know Um, and and it's and it's there and it's all there
0: yeah yeah it has monasticism in it I mean it's very much what Christianity would have looked like right before it became legal you know the the function of bishops the function of priests the function of deacons the function of um, celibates and monastics Um, there's scenes in the catacombs in Rome there's a scene of Pope Marcellus mm-hmm. in a catacomb in Rome Yeah. Uh, and what, what that would look like, what, what liturgy would look like underground by candlelight yeah. in a catacomb, like all that stuff I depict in the book. Uh, and it's really beautiful. And there's a lot of martyrdom in it. I wrote these books originally for young adults. And I think the fan base is primarily adults. Uh, young adults well, started yeah. reading it, but now like... When I meet people in public, I'm meeting adults who are reading these books and saying, "Wow, I love it!" You know. So, yeah. How yep. far are you into the second book, Tenth Region of the Night? It's the blue one. I'm
1: about seventy pages. Seventy pages okay. reading it.
0: Yeah. So, Tenth Region of the Night is a. It's based on this is Saint George, after the dragon, and uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's very much based in Egypt, and it brings in the character I Catarina, which is the Greek name for Saint Catherine of Alexandria. Who's the patron saint of philosophers? And there's this myth in Egypt that at the tenth region of the night, which is the deepest, darkest part of the night, the coldest and the darkest part of the night, at that part is when the sun breaks, and the light comes. So the the second book is is kind of since it's Egyptian in its ethos, in its environment, in its ethos, and its characters, is sort of drawing on this this uh, Egyptian idea, but but showing how it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ and by St. George himself. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's good. It's good. And it has St. Christopher in it. It has St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas is like the Gandalf slash Padre Pio character who can, he's, he's the historical St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. He can bilocate, he can read minds. Uh, He's very powerful. He's an exorcist. He's got all kinds of cool powers. Uh, And he is the sort of, guide or mentor to to St. George. And if you ever
1: were wondering, ladies and gentlemen, could you mix early church history, Giants and Braveheart into one character? <laughs> yes. Then you'll enjoy the character Menas, which you'll yes. encounter about page
0: 100 in the first edition. Yes. He's awesome. And when I meet people who have read the books, I always ask them two questions. Which is your favorite book of the three? Most people, I would say 70% of people, say the third book is their favorite. Uh, the other people say they like the first book. Um, yeah. And then I ask him, who's your favorite character? And usually I either hear George, which is obvious. St. Minas, who's St. Christopher. Um, Sabra, who's the main, Sabra. Uh, the, the possessed girl in the first book, uh, who yeah. works in the cult of Moloch. And then people also really like I, Katerina, who's, the, who's the, one of the main females in the second book. Uh, people like her a lot. She is a just a, a super highly educated Egyptian pagan mm-hmm. who's reading Aristotle, reading Plato, and starting to figure it out. You know, she's like 70% of the way there on the form of the good and the prime mover, and realizing how all the Egyptian yeah. paganism is just total bunk. But she just needs help to get there all the way. And of course, she gets there the whole way can you play the do you have the capability yeah, yeah, of let me, playing let me the let me preview? put up um let's see how am i gonna do this all right let me can i it can up. i
1: uh well you're if you just do like in a tab and play the tab like you have for twitter or something you can do that
0: yes but sometimes when you i look do up that if one. i don't have it open on this program it won't bring in the audio so i've got to bring in the audio let me do that real quick well, well you, while you'll you do that you if i, do I that?
1: mentioned my new if i mention my new project
0: well i don't i don't want to get off of this one yet then we'll go into your project okay
1: we'll stay on it yeah yeah so we'll stay on it so so um uh i would say ladies and gentlemen even though it's a book that's written for young adults it's like narnia you know like you i'm reading narnia to my kids and it's like my favorite thing to do is read the Narnia book. Right. You know, I could sit there. I could if you if you said you have to go away and read all seven Narnias in two weeks. In cabin, I'd be like, that's the greatest two weeks in <laughs> my life. You know? Yeah. Um, whereas at the same time, my seven year old loves it, and 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 even though the stories are intense, there's no gratuitous violence. Like. Like even when you describe the cult of Moloch, like obviously it's sad, but you're not you're not doing like a Quentin Tarantino thing in the slightest, right? So yeah. you can play it around. You can play it around small. I mean, children, there's some, it's like- I mean,
0: throughout all three books, especially as you get into the third book, when the Diocletian persecution, I mean, the martyrdom scenes are pretty gut wrenching. But I mean, in a beautiful. They are. I mean, it's beautiful. It's 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 gory. It's death. It's blood. It's gruesome. But there is just this redemptive beauty about it yes that that moves your heart so i think that's the well it's redemptive suffering so all right i've got the i've got the audio you want want me to try it up yeah let's do it all right here we go all right here's a sample of kennedy reading my book sword and serpent are you sorry that you attacked him what no
1: jurian cried but he choked back bile and bowed his head again yes he said gritting the word through his teeth to keep from screaming it Yes, I am. Oh, God. He wasn't even sure if it was just the fear or losing everything he'd counted on, but he stared with revulsion and horror at the memory of Casca's face, eyes wide with surprise, mouth agape, hands vainly trying to catch his own blood. Had he been the cause of that, he'd done it without hesitation and so much anger. How could this Marcellinus even stand to look at him, let alone show him any kindness?' "'Can you forgive me?' "'My forgiveness would mean nothing,' Marcellinus said. "'But God forgives and does not remember.' He rested his hand on Jurian's head, then traced the sinew on his forehead. "'I absolve you of your sin. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.' He clasped Durian's shoulder. "'Take up the sword now and go in peace.' Jurian couldn't speak, so he bent and lifted the sword. It felt surprisingly light in his hand for so ungainly a weapon. Its weight was perfectly balanced, like an extension of his arm. Is there a scabbard for it? he asked. Marcellinus glanced at Dionysius, who, with an embarrassed apology, went back to the niche where he found the sword. He brought back a strange scabbard, attached to a belt that looked like it might have fit Menas, Jurian took it tentatively and twisted it around, frowning. I believe you'll want to wear that sword across your back, Marcellinus said, miming, placing the belt over his shoulder. It's too long to carry comfortably on your hip. That made much more sense,
0: so Jurian wrapped the belt. All right, there it is. Good accents, too. That scene there is is when Jurian he's in the catacomb, and if I remember correctly, uh, he meets Pope Marcellinus or Marcellinus. And uh, he receives, well, there's his prophecy, and he receives this sword, um, which, of course, is going yep. to play into the dragon. And also, I put this sub-narrative in there of how this sword is eventually going to become a sword that's found in England many centuries later. Which sort of links Constantine and George and King Arthur and all this stuff. It's pretty cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And th- at the end of the third book, you're really going to see this um, so yeah, okay. So everybody get a copy of it. Mods put a put a link to it. Uh, you can get Sword and Serpent. You can get the book. You can get the Kindle or you can get the Audible. The Audible's read by this man right here, Kennedy Hall, and it's awesome. First time I listened to the first few chapters, I got chilled. I was like, Kennedy was destined for all these years. <laughs> I, I wrote this. I wrote Sword and Serpent. What year did I write that? 2014. 2014. So I mean, it's been a, it's been around for nine years. It's a number one bestseller. Uh, it's a very popular book. It has how many reviews on it? Almost a thousand five star reviews. Um, but Kennedy was just destined to read it. It's fantastic. Good job, Kennedy. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about uh, your work on a new book. Yes. Kind of controversial, a little bit controversial. Story of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I
1: came into the, uh, I came into the Catholic book-writing world with terror of demons, telling men to stop being betas and feminists. That was an interesting way to enter into the game. Uh, and now, and then my book, Lockdown with the Devil, it was like screw tape letters following a family during the, the so-called pandemic lockdowns, and that was controversial. Um, now, so for those who don't know, um, there's been a little bit of a dust-up About the Society of St. Pius X as of late, Um, as tradition is being suffocated even more, uh, you know, you see people's true colors. And um, the enemies of tradition are really vocal right now. And um, the arguments against the society are not new arguments, they're just new takes on old arguments, which is, you know, you see this all the time. So I've been asked a million times, will you do a response video to so-and-so? Will you do a three-hour live stream about this, and will I send you to debunk this. And it's like, I don't know who has all the how these guys have all this time, but I got five kids, a full-time job, and an injured wife. I'm not about to spend six hours a day on YouTube. Um, and the nature of the fact that my wife got hurt, I had a lot of. Even though I'm not working and everything's weird, you know, Taylor, as a father, something bad happens to one of your children or your wife. I mean, you can't sleep. Yeah. Uh, my adrenaline was just crazy, and so I just sat down. 13 days ago, uh, just the second, I think it was like the first night she was in the hospital the second night or something like that. And I was just like, I'm going to go crazy if I don't do something. And everyone's asking me to do the society stuff. So I just decided to write a book. So I finished the last line of the conclusion last night. It's about 200 and something pages.
0: Congrats. And, um, thank you. I have, it's obviously I've got a, are you, are you a, a, uh, I, I think we've discussed this before. You're, you're the kind of writer that just sort of, you've got to just do it quick, like a two week, three week delivery. Yeah. That's how I like it's.
1: You go well, into you a know, cave, Mar-
0: you get really manic. Yes, you go into a cave and you yes. get really manic, and then you sit at a keyboard and you write for eight hours a day. Yes, and then you like I can't believe your eyes are hurting and your wrists are cramped. Yes, and I I can't believe I've been sitting at this coffee shop for eight hours writing this straight. That's how I am. Put it this way, I. Wrote the bulk of the book between nine at
1: night and three in the morning. Yeah. For like two weeks. I haven't slept. I'm have slept like three hours a night, which is, I don't usually sleep much more than that. But anyway. Um, it's part so, of the mania. Mer- like it's
0: a manic. It is. You get into a man. I don't know how to explain to people. And we talked about before. For me. It's a muse. No food. Muse. Well, it's not pagan. Yes. But yes. No, I don't mean in the, in I the don't. I don't, sense, I don't want people to say, Taylor yeah. Marshall and Kennedy worship a muse. Um, <laughs> I do it Coffee. A couple of espressos, cigar. no food, around noon or two, a little cigar, a little Maduro cigar, and just keep on going. And I think if there's no, if I'm starving and I just have that, I can write and I can be creative and I enter into this creative zone. That's highly productive. And then it's you know over. You helps? You know what helps? A nice
1: tennis goal. Cause you can go the whole time without <laughs> having to worry about it
0: i <laughs> <laughs> just straight up into the whoo. yeah no i yeah. I, like I, I just can't i've tried you know snuff yeah. and dip and i it's just not my deal uh, i just think like a, a little cigar kind of just yeah. g- gets gets you kind of um your, your palms a little sweaty and you get back into it and you, you just keep you producing do. you just keep producing And I know that I only have like 30 days of that in my system before I crash. So I've got to finish the deadline. You can't do anything after. Like it's,
1: if somebody said, I'm going to pay you, you know, X amount of money to go write a book right now, I'd be like, I don't know if I can do that. Like if I have to, I have to want to write it on my own. I don't even know if I could do it. So, but I was talking to Father Murr and he said, you know, uh, when God wants something done, he wants it done all at once sometimes, you know? And, um, and it's just crazy. So I'm, so the book, if you guys if everyone goes to kennedyhall.ca just my name kennedyhall.ca you're, you're clipping a light kennedy not.
0: i'm trying to figure out oh, why man. you're I clipping don't... can you is that is, you it, you, is it the blue mic right there yeah i'm just going to switch to the the macbook air mic yeah because it's, maybe it's maybe um a... it's almost like when you when you say a lot of words together it clips out i don't know why all right
1: now i've got a different mic does that sound better that's way clearer. better
0: way better Okay, I should have done that. That's, anyway, stupid technology. I know. I'm an audio
1: engineer, but I can't figure out microphones. Anyway. Oh, I mean, the um, audience
0: at home knows in the past week, I've been not using the mic here because my new soundboard, if I move something on my desk, it wiggles loose, and then it goes, defaults to the camera or the mic on my camera, and people are like, your audio stinks, and it's a nightmare. First world problem. Well,
1: anyway, it is. Go to KennedyHall.ca, um... I've taken a page out of your book, pun intended, um, where sign up for the early readers list. Um, I'll cap it out probably at a hundred. had it at 50, but I've probably got yeah. about 30 people signed up before I even announced it. I think they just Googled my name um, and the website's already live, but I'll probably cap it at a hundred. We'll see. And, you know, take a couple weeks. Let me know what you think about the book. Send me back all your red pen on your PDFs if you want to. I appreciate it. I'll put your name in the acknowledgements. Yeah. Um So you get an email. So I just finished writing the conclusion last night at like, you know, 2 AM. And right now I'm, you know, the book essentially, if I can put it this way, it's like, there's a thousand million arguments about the SSPX and, and people are not going to pick up some sort of dry PhD thing about canon law. It's not going to happen. Like people just aren't going to do that. So you, you have to be able to explain to people, the complicated thing, and show them it's really not that complicated. Um, and, and so it's it's not a narrative, but it's taking sort of this journey that people come into a crisis and they say, what do I do now there's a crisis in the church? I've heard about the society thing. Who is this Marcel Lefebvre character? What does this mean? Explain this to me like I'm an eight-year-old kind of thing. Yeah. And I go through the book like that. Um, and then there's also an appendix uh, that will have sort of FAQ, stuff I couldn't really fit, So, you know, did Lefebvre say the new mass? You know, what about this? You know, this is the general questions that take a paragraph or so to answer. Um, And I spend a lot of time because at this point with the society, I mean, listen, there's a there's a ton of stuff that makes all the stuff from the past kind of a moot point legally, Uh, all the permissions and stuff from Francis. I mean, that's all very clear, Uh, lifting of the excommunications, whatever. But the critics will say, well, that just means you were a bunch of schismatics until 10 years ago kind of thing. Right. And I say. Let's actually look at it from day one, and let's break all this down. So I spent a lot of time on the consecrations of 88, the reasoning behind that. People don't really know why that happened. There's a lot—even even society supporters think it's all about Assisi. There's actually a lot more to it than that. Uh, the suppression of the society in 75, how that was done illegally, um, you know, all these kinds of things. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be called SS, the SSPX Defense, um, and it should be out, hopefully— I'm hoping by the end of February, the
0: latest. Oh, wow. That's fast. Now, is this uh, for people watching? Is this are you focusing more on a defense of Marcel Lefebvre in his actions or is it more the canonical regularity, irregularity? However, the debate is on the Society of St. Pius X It's both. both. So okay. this is how I, I, I I'm like, if somebody picks up this book, why are they picking it up?
1: For one, they're a critic, and they want to debunk everything, fine, Calvinists are still trying to debunk Catholicism, they're never going to stop. Um, Two, uh, they're on the fence, they need some good information. Or three, they are society supporters, but they need to have something in their arsenal because they're getting attacked by everybody. That's kind of the main types of people that are going to get it. So the first, let's call it 60, 70 pages, is like, here's why they're not in schism. Here's why you can go to mass there. Basically, all the things where it's like somebody says you can't go there. It's like no, you can, and here's the 50 reasons why. That's kind of like that's what you need. But then the second half of the book is more um, the history and why even if that even if even if that first part of the book didn't happen, how can we understand the society from the perspective of church history, from the perspective of canon law history. From a perspective of what does state of necessity mean? Is it really a legal term? Uh, is it found in canon law? So it's more like you could just read that first half of the book and be like confident, like this is my SSPX 101, I'm good, I'll go to Mass, I'm happy. The second half of the book is for all those who are gonna to try to debunk it, you're not gonna be able to. Because here's the here's okay. the uh, here's the arguments that 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 vindicate it from day one. So um and, and shout out as well. There's a there's a there's a substat called On the Contrary. Um, this person reached out to me, um, and this person is like an uh, remains anonymous, but is sort of an aspiring canonist. And there's a an article on there about epikeia, which is this quality of legal legal attribute as it applies to society. It's one of the best things I've ever read, and I cite that heavily in the book. And the author was so gracious that they allowed me to include lots of portions of it in the book for certain arguments. Um, so everyone should check out this substat called on the contrary as well. Yeah, epi- um, because epikia it's really is really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah it's epi- like it no know, know, epikia epi- is the Greek um, virtue, I suppose. Yeah. The Greek concept that uh, the norms of a law are suspended if they are contrary to the will of the lawgiver. Or yes. if the lawgiver is absent and there's un there's it's not clear on how something should be applied or interpreted in the absence of a lawgiver, um how to move forward through prudence. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, in English the, the closest term we have is something like equity. Not equity in like the social justice warrior sense, right. but basically it just means spirit of the law and fairness. Right. So when Christ is talking to the Pharisees, he's like, obviously they can get their ox out of the side of the road, because it's about not, you know, like yes, they're not supposed to do servile work, but that presupposes they're not going to lose their livelihood, you know. And we see this with Judah Maccabee and stuff. Yes, you can fight on the Sabbath if you're defending yourself. You're just not supposed to launch a campaign on that day, you know. Um, and and so that's you know that's the, that's the heart of the crisis in the church. I mean, we we're talking about the fraternity and. Christ the King earlier. I mean these these people, I mean if they get if they get canned, I mean there'll be souls languishing in in modernist wastelands and there and they and they have every right to say no there's a grave need and there's no solution foreseeable in the future. I must just stay in this place and say mass and hear confessions because they can't access it otherwise. And 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 that's the highest law of the church is the salvation of souls and and if you and if you have a, a legal attribute that goes against that it's invalid because what you're doing is working against the actual reason the church exists,
0: right? Yeah, we could, we could yeah. come up with all kinds of um, examples of that. For example, I mean, just an obvious one would be, let's Still say it's uh, a month. It's Martin Luther King Jr. It's a federal holiday in America. I don't know if they do that in Canada. Yep. It's on a Monday Yeah. Uh, and, the, and someone forgets to turn off the um, the school zone light. So it says flashing 20 miles per hour, right? Hey there, little one. Yeah. 20 miles per hour. But you have to like get your wife to the hospital because she's got her arm cut open. You can speed right on through there and and get your, because you know there's no kids there, right? You're technically breaking the law, but you're using your prudence and your reason knowing that, okay, there's no kids here today. My wife is injured and you get her to the hospital. Yeah, you can drive over this with you. This is Clover. This
1: is Clover. Hey, Clover. Say hello. Hi. And there's Shiloh. Come on in, Shiloh. What's up, Shiloh? Titus, go on the other side. Titus, go on the other side. And then Clementine's crying upstairs. And then so you where's Samson? Bounce. Did he fall asleep on the couch? Hi. So come down, buddy. Hey. Say hello. Hi. Did Samson, did Samson fall asleep on the couch? Yes. So Samson's asleep on the couch. <laughs> uh, and Clementine's upstairs. Anyway. Yep. I gotta run here. Okay, so what's the I where do they the sign up over. to get
0: to be part of the uh, advanced readers?
1: Kennedyhall.ca. Go to Kennedy Hall dot ca dot ca.
0: Kennedyhall.ca. Kennedyhall.ca. Yeah, Go there, become an advanced reader, find out more about it. And uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the future.
1: Yeah, you can only do one thing on the website. You can literally only sign up for the book. <laughs> okay.
0: So Good. click the one click. All right. That's it. All right. That's right. All right, man. God bless you. Thanks, guys. All right. All right friends, that's it. We'll wrap it up by Kennedy Hall. And um let's see what else. Yes, yeah, so go to kennedyhall.ca, get a copy of my book Antichrist and Apocalypse. The audible version is actually read by Kennedy Kennedy Hall. He's the voice on the audio version. Get a copy of Sword and Serpent either uh physical version or the audible version. I'd appreciate that. I think you're going to love it. It's fantastic. And um, if you want signed copies of these books, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall, patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. you get a signed copy at different levels there. Pray your rosary every single day. And why don't we pray a Hail Mary together? We'll do it in Latin. Oremos nomini patris et fidi spiritu sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta Tul molieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostrae. Amen. Nomini Patris et et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Thanks for watching, friends. Um, Appreciate all your prayers. As some of you know, I was really, our whole family was really sick last week. Like, can't get out of bed sick. Uh, I don't know if it was a variation of COVID or whatever's new coming out of China, but um, am feeling better. So thanks for the prayers. And pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day. Oh, if you want to join New St. Thomas Institute, you can still do that. Go to NewStThomas.com. And until next time, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And um, check out the other interviews that Kennedy and I have done.